Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. We have a milestone today. We're at episode 100, and this is super exciting. It's been quite a journey, and to celebrate the 100th episode can be more happy and elated than to have Daniel Wu join me for this episode. Daniel has been a great supporter of the MBA Insider Podcast and the work that I've done and is doing some fantastic work at the McComb School of Business, where he is the Managing Director of Career Education and Coaching. Today, Daniel and I are going to talk about a topic that I know that we're both super excited about, passionate about, think a lot about each and every day. And that really is just thinking about the future of work and what MBA students need to know about it, what they need to be doing in terms of thinking about their careers and how they can use their time in business school to really prepare for what that looks like. And I think Daniel's really uniquely positioned to talk about this and think about this, not only for the job that he has, but also just from his own career journey and what he's done. So with that, no better way to kick off episode 100 than to, to have Daniel introduce himself and, and, and get to know him a little bit better. So uh, first off, Daniel, thank you so much for joining me, for supporting me Insider along the way. Just to kind of warm up here, I always like to give a warm-up song, and I know you're a big Hamilton fan. So you have to tell me, if you could only pick one <laughs> Hamilton song, and we can only pick one, which one is your favorite? Wow. Well, Al, first off, thank you so much. Congratulations on Podcast 100. Just listened to your episode where you had some of your former speakers join you. And so just, wow, I can't believe it's been a year and um, super excited. I'm really grateful to be here. If I had to pick one song, I would say it's probably Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story. You know, they're, they're just maybe to set the stage for why and why this song has such an impact on me. My wife and I, for our wedding anniversary, happened to be in San Francisco. And part of that eating, you know, wonderful adventure, we just happened to stumble on seventh row middle stage tickets at the Orpheum in San Francisco and got to see Hamilton. I'm super grateful for that experience. You know, the, the, the musical ends and you have Eliza on stage singing the song. I don't know. There's just this moment where it seems like it all clicked and you realize that how much power she has as she's telling the story. I don't know. That just always resonated with me. And I think about a lot of what the journey of our students, of, of myself is you know, who gets to tell your story, right? Who, who does tell that story is so powerful and so important, especially right now. Yeah, absolutely. It's a wonderful song. It's a great way to end it. And I couldn't agree more, particularly within the context of a career. And that's such a great story of being able to stumble on seventh row tickets, definitely a memorable way to spend a, a wedding anniversary. So that's, that's great. Uh, so want to get to know you a little bit better. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to ask you, who are you? And then I would love to know you know, not only what do you do, but tell me maybe something about you that's not on your LinkedIn profile. So something that we can't see on your LinkedIn profile. Absolutely. You know, my LinkedIn profile is actually a pretty authentic version of me. Right? It starts off with my 2X dad, right? So I've got two amazing girls, four and one, and, you know, raising a, an infant to toddlerhood in this pandemic has been quite quite the adventure. So it's it's really interesting to think about who I am from you know, obviously from a work standpoint, I have this role, right? I work in a university setting, work at University of Texas, McComb School of Business, and happy to dig into the, the role a little bit more later. But, you know, I think right now, lately, I've been thinking a lot about my identity, right? I, I'm really lucky to have 
parents who were Chinese born in Korea who were brave enough to leave their family community and come to the US. And interestingly, something that's not on my LinkedIn profile, the reason my father came to the US was to get an MBA. And of course, it was quite a different experience back then in the 70s. Um, there was definitely no MBA school. You had essentially a broker that you gave your test course to, you gave some money to, and then they came back and told you, here's the school you get into. My father ended up somewhere in New Mexico for his MBA. If there's one dimension that I think also doesn't get highlighted, but something fun, is that I'm actually quite a nerd, a big gamer. And so I started off early in turn-based strategy, then real-time strategy, um, born tragically too early for esports, but definitely ran a few LAN parties in my parents' garage. And during this pandemic, it's been incredibly wonderful to kind of spend time with my four-year-old playing Animal Crossing. So that's been a fun new thing to kind of share with her. You know, I think if there was one other thing, I talk a lot about sous vide in my LinkedIn profile. So, you know, that's probably a topic for another day, but really passionate about food, not just about what tastes good and what looks good on Instagram, but there's this thing about sharing food that can really transform someone's day, right? Nutrition can transform someone's life and sustainable food systems, right, can transform entire economies. And I think a lot about my role and my world and career, um, we're offering, we're providing something to students that really helps them transform their lives. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. And since you live in Austin, you definitely do have your fair share of good food. So I'm sure that helps. I also think that you and I are both dating ourselves for the, our audience because we know what land parties are. <laughs> uh, there will be some people who have to Google that and look that up. We both know what those are. And then just out of curiosity, because both my parents went to business school as well. Did you know about what an MBA was when you were growing up? Like, was that like a thing or did you, is that something you talked about with your parents maybe later on? In life or did that did that come out at all yeah i would say the first time that i had a conversation with my dad about his mba was sometime in elementary school we had to do you know this like biography of our family and i remember coming home and asking my dad where did you go to school right what did you do for school and you know he shared about the university he went to in, in taiwan and then he shared about this things mba right and you know my, my dad was an entrepreneur, right? So he took his MBA and turned it into um, basically starting a computer retail business in the early 80s. And, you know, certainly I think had a interesting run. I um, got into point of sale software in, in the restaurant business, but I never really connected the dots about that, about the entrepreneurship piece of MBA. And, and certainly an MBA has um, come quite a long way, but happy to see that the entrepreneurship piece's component is still very core, I think, to what an MBA can offer the entrepreneurship students are some of my favorite students kind of as a result of that. Yeah, absolutely. And on that, I know you work with a lot of students, but could you talk a little bit about what your role is right now and, and what you really do and what you really focus on each and every day? Absolutely. So I'm in a fairly new role. I was previously director of career for the full-time MBA program, so leading a coaching team. And now I am in this role overseeing career strategy across really three separate coaching teams that provide support to our undergraduate BBAs, our specialty master students, and our full-time MBA students. And my charge is really thinking a lot about how is career education, higher education being accelerated, right? And, and transforming, especially in this pandemic, what does the post-COVID world look like? You know, higher education is not immune to the, the impact, right? And I, you know, I'm really just grateful and lucky to, to have the opportunity to lead our team, to develop the agility to prepare our students, um, to really meet this 
right? Constantly now changing landscape that we call the future of work. Yeah, thank you for that. And that's actually a good segue because I, I would love to actually talk about that. And you know, certainly it makes sense to why you're thinking about this because the future of work are, are what your students are going to be entering. And I think right now, and even just kind of prep preparing for this, you know, when I when you Google future of work, there's probably like 27 different companies who have something out there about it, right? And there's so much out there that's written about the future of work in the context of companies, right? And how their products will accelerate the future of work or help us navigate the future of work in terms of how we do what we do to do business. But I think what's often been missing and why I wanted to talk to you today is that we often miss the conversation about what that future of work actually means for an employee. And so I'd love to ask you kind of what your thoughts about this are, particularly because you know the employees that we're talking about are the current business school students. They're the people who are learning and coming to you for career and your, your coaches for career guidance. And so how do you think about the future of work, not necessarily from the employer side or the company side, but from the, the employee and the, the, your students who will be these employees? Such a great question, Al. I, I'm kind of curious, you know, as you mentioned, if you Google future work, there's so many different aspects and components, right? From sort of artificial intelligence, disruption, robotic process automation, right? Then there's like the human side, perhaps like generational impacts, like flexible work, distributed work. What is perhaps like maybe to help me a little bit, what's an aspect or a trend that we can talk about, right? The, the student piece as a lens through. Yeah. Well, so one that certainly comes top of mind and because it's relevant is distributed work or remote work. Right. And I mean, I think I think about something like, you know, we've always talked for a while now that, you know, particularly MBA students, you need to know how to collaborate and work well on teams, you know, cross-functional teaming and things like that. So to me, that takes on a whole new dimension because before we were talking about it, the context of you need to know how to have executive presence in the boardroom. But what happens when, you know, the boardroom is your living room, right? And the people who were at the boardroom are now across 10 different states or a couple of different countries. So distributed Teams kind of makes me think of one of them. You know, another bigger thing I would say, bigger than that, is that, you know, in business school, you are preparing to change, most likely change careers or accelerate in a current one. But at the end of the day, you know, particularly for most people go to a full-time MBA program, you're going to have many more opportunities in your career. And if we are seeing this pace of change accelerating, if we are seeing these technologies that are impacting the workplace, what does that mean for career strategy? What does that mean for career development? So I think there's some tactical yeah, tactic, yeah. tactical things like in terms of how you're preparing students, I presume, to, so that they can be successful on day one and hit the ground running. But also thinking a bit longer term of, you know, what does it mean to potentially have a career for the next 50 years? And what is that going to look like? Because I think it probably is looking different than when, you know, your dad and my dad, you know, were getting an MBA. Absolutely. Thank you. That's That's really helpful context. I would say that that trend has been happening, right, even before sort of COVID and before this pandemic is we've seen this trend from, let's call it 10 years ago, 15 years ago, where someone would come and get an MBA because they had a specific ladder that they were trying to break into and climb, whether it was investment banking, consulting, venture capital, right, you name it, that career switch right into something that they didn't have before. A lot of the times that career switch was into a very traditional industry. Right? And those are incredible industries that right now are facing a ton of disruption, right? What does consulting look like if it continues to be perhaps not five days a week at a client site, but a, a hybrid, right? What does that, that even mean in terms of what value is being delivered by a consulting 
company. And they're, they've been spending the last year like, working through that. I don't think it'll ever be the same ever again. When we think about career strategy, it's evolved, right? It used to be sort of, here, take an assessment. And depending on what that assessment is going to do, right, it spits out for you sort of, here are the potential pathways, right, that you might want to consider. And while I, I think, you know, someday someone's going to build an AI platform for that, <laughs> there's something I think that we've been really focused on, which is figuring out your why. This seems to really resonate, at least with Texas Macomb students, as we talk to them at missions, as we dig in at orientation, is figuring out you know, who you are. And not even about who you are, but it's what do you value, right? What is most important to you? And I think that thought exercise has really transformed the way our students should be thinking about not just like this, you know, searching for an internship or a full-time job, right, to get that post-MBA career started. But it's asking these deep questions that then you have this space, right? This almost like this playground, right? An experimental lab of the two-year you know, full-time MBA experience to really think about, I'm going to try this out. I'm going to you know, be more like a scientist, right? Instead of having this laser focus, I'm going to be a scientist and, and try out different things, right? I can accelerate that by instead of having to wait for a summer internship in consumer products, I can you know, do this micro consulting project and get a sense for what does you know, brand strategy mean and look like? And is that something I want to do? Right? So I think the acceleration of the need to make certain key career choices that is being driven by the marketplace has really forced us to spend more time with students thinking more clearly about what do you really want to do, right? What do you want to do in this world? And not just what do you want to do, but it's a combination of what do you want to do and what are you good at? What are your strengths? What are your competencies? And then most importantly, is there a market for that? Right? And I think this pandemic has been a huge disruptor in, is there a market for that? And in some places, that market has shrunk. And in other places, there, you know, the sky's the limit. And so I think tactically for you know, listeners, I, I think, again, just to recap, really thinking about what are the things that matter to you, right? What, do you, what would you do for free, right? If you had to do it for free, what would it be? then what are you really good at? And how do you combine those two things together and find that market fit? Because the job titles are going to change. The companies are going to change, right? And so if you only focus on those things, you're only going to be successful. And then you're going to find yourself, you know, post MBA in a great immediate job, an immediate role. But then following that, that next role, certainly, you know, if you have a great career office, you'll be able to go back as an alum and, and find those resources again. But I think that mindset and that sort of framework is going to really help you be successful for the rest of your career. Thank you for that. And one of the things that I often try to encourage and preach, if you will, to MBA students or alum really does hit on, I think, some of the things you're saying in the sense that if you do this right, the what you know your Macomb students learn in terms of what you're talking about, in terms of finding your why, finding the intersection of your strengths and skills and, and what the market's willing to pay if you do this right, those are things you will continuously do over the course of your career. And also just to add to that, to the point you made, it doesn't even need to be for a job title or promotion. It could also certainly just be a, a stretch assignment, right? Taking on another project, right? Like it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be for a promotion or anything like that. To me, at least, I think that is where I see a lot of opportunity for Teams like yours and the, and the coaches you have in terms of really being on the front lines 
um, with students and working with them, you know, each and every day, right? Because just like other, you know, aspects of business school, right? What you learn there is valuable when you're there. But the goal is, is that it's giving you a toolbox, right? Of tools that you can take with you. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this is like, you know, to me, at least like, yes, like a toolbox always is going to be in finance and accounting and marketing, and you should keep those tools with you. But mm-hmm. like there, there are some career tools in that toolbox too, right? Absolutely. I'm kind of curious, right? For you, what would you say is the tool that you've used the most, right? Perhaps like in this past year. Yeah. And we've heard a lot of stories, right? From a lot of different MBAs of how they've employed different types of tools. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny. And going back to your favorite Hamilton song, storytelling and really being able to use that skill to tell the, you know, the narrative, right? You know, when I work with students, a lot of times I'll really push them to be bold, how they describe themselves. And sometimes some of them will be a little bit more hesitant. I think a lot of times people will, are trying to be humble. And one of the things I always tell them is that, listen, like you are what you say you are and you know, your story better than anyone else will be able to ever know your story. So if you want to say that you're this, then, then that's who you are. But within the context, right, of whether you're positioning yourself for a stretch assignment or for to lead that cross-functional project or, you know, wanting to make the case for why you should get promoted or, or whatever, or looking to try to find a new job, being able to tell that story of what are my strengths, uh, what is the market opportunity and how what I do fits within that, that is critical. Like that is absolutely critical. And, you know, I think... I think back to like my, I mean, for me, and I'm sure for everyone else, like that first mod of like your first year when you're trying to do that career story, right? And like trying to tell that narrative, like all those practice moments, right? Like that doesn't go away. Or just even thinking about like you're working on a new cross-functional project, right? And you get everyone gets a chance to introduce himself and you got to figure out a way, how do I build trust with these people, right? You could tell. Absolutely. Like, it's Absolutely. So, like that, so that's like just one that comes top of mind and right off the bat. You know, that's actually a great one. And I'll just add on to that. The reason why that's such a great one is that's not just if, if you don't have a strong competency in storytelling, then the opportunity during business school isn't just to work on that story, but you, you get incredible instant feedback, right? And you're able to get feedback from classmates who come from such diverse backgrounds, right? This is a, a very unique time where you can get that kind of perspective to hone and and polish and and work on the different aspects of your story. And it's not just your story from a career lens, but it's your story of who you are. And, you know, even just to take something that's very tactical in the career world, networking, right? As I think about networking and it's, you know, there's for, for many, right, this transactional feeling of networking. And I've reflected a lot with my partner about, you know, part of why networking can feel so challenging for some people, why it feels so transactional and it feels like icky transactional is because you don't believe in yourself, right? You don't believe in your own value and your worth. And if you're a good storyteller, then you have to be able to connect those dots into how, right? Whether it's you or this thing that you're pitching brings value. Right? And you have to be able to like, you know, bring that clarity very quickly so that you don't lose your audience, so you don't lose that deal. And so I, again, I think that storytelling piece is such an important competency or skill set for someone to have or someone to develop during their time. Yeah. And to add to what you said, the networking piece is, is huge. You know, again, context to distributed work. So 
it was important before, it'll be even more important now. And just so much of business, as much as it is about technology, you know, fundamentally still is, is about people and humans. And I think particularly for MBA students who go to work for large corporations, right? Like so much of that really, even if there is a lot of technology and automation involved, like you still have to work with lots of people. And that's why, so that's why something like networking is still important. Um, one other one that I wanted to, I think, I don't know if you're going in this direction, but I'll use this analogy anyway. But when you talked about being able to think like a scientist. So the other lens that I've often talked about this before is kind of like for those of you who are technologists who understand agile development and what product managers do, right? In terms of using like a tested learn approach and coming up with a hypothesis of, of what you think you should do, creating a small experiment to test it out, and then getting that rapid feedback and then iterating on that. And again, applicable in the sense of trying out a new skill, right? That you think you might need in order to do your job. It could be used, applied in the sense of trying to get on a, a project that you think you might want to do, like if it's an adjacent role to see if that is something you want to do to maybe transition into, or, you know, maybe even something a little bit bigger, like, you know, making, you know, a transition, but wanting to test out something on the side before doing that. And so that notion though, of just instead of, you know, kind of the old way in terms of, you know, again, we come from a technology background in terms of like the big protracted, um, kind of like long, you know, planned out thing of starting small, learning, and then doing another release on top of that and working towards it incrementally versus like the big bang, if you will. So that's another, I think, and, and again, like to the point you made, you get so many ch chances in business school to run those small experiments, right? And to learn and get feedback. Yeah, you know, there's there's one other piece I would just add, especially for you know the the listeners who are about to graduate or who are about to go into an internship this summer. You ultimately have to be the one that owns your development. Yeah, and if you're entering a company where feedback is annual and that's it, right? You have to be the one that sort of manages up, right, and has those conversations that iterates those different pieces. And without that clarity, I think you know you you can't truly be successful, right? You're not going to, you're going to mitigate your success by having those conversations frequently. And again, especially if you're looking at a distributed team type of environment, that's critical, right? Otherwise, how else do you stay aligned? Yeah. I, yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because that was actually the next one I was going to bring up. And the reason why I love that one is so context for the listeners, Daniel and I both started our careers at Deloitte and the phrase own your career. I mean, if you go to a crowded room of people who work at Deloitte and you say that everyone will turn because they know what it means, because <laughs> it's just something that they, they really teach you from the beginning. But that is another one, I think. And again, in business school, I think about this in the sense that, you know, you're in a, you're in a class, you're in a cohort and all of that is really helpful and valuable. But fundamentally at the end of the day, unless you're the one who's driving the decisions around your career, unless you're using that approach, I think you're going to find that you're either going to have a really tough time or in the end, you're going to have suboptimal results uh, because you are the, really the only one who can really architect that vision of who you are and where, where you think you want to go. Um, you certainly will need others to help you get there and in, in, in their feedback, but that starts with you. It's not going to come from someone telling you the roadmap. It's not going to come from someone telling you how to do it. I mean, those people will help, but like that has to start with you. Right. And I do think that at least with, you know, in my, with the work that I do and talking with a lot of career centers, you know, MBA programs in the United States, you know, most, I think, career centers do believe that. And they really try to empower that in their, in their students. 
But I can also tell you from working now at two very large companies, if you don't take that approach, it's not that you won't do fine. It's just that you may not necessarily get the path or optimize for the thing that you really want. Because in an organization of 50 or 60,000 people, no one else is thinking about your career besides you. And hopefully maybe your manager, if they're a good manager, but, but, but not always. Absolutely. We've kind of gone through some of these things that I think are important as we think about careers for the future of work and really that things that you can hone in business school. But the other side of it, you know, I know you work a lot with students, I know you work a lot with your staff, but you also talk to employers, right? Hiring managers, McCombs um, alum, or, or just any hiring managers that are out there. And I would be just curious to know, what are they saying to you about what they're thinking about the future of work? And you know, more specifically, what are they asking from you in terms of what they think they want or what they think they need from your students who are going to be employed by them in the future? Yeah, employers are such a, you know, I think alums, right? We have incredible alumni who provide a lot of that perspective. I, I would say that what hasn't changed, right, is the perhaps the core competencies that an MBA brings, right? Certainly the hard skills and then of course the soft skills, right? So I think the soft skills, and I'm curious, right? Like to me, like the soft skills that haven't changed are the ability to work with different people, right? A lot of different types of people, the ability to build and sustain and expand a network, right? Whether it's internally or externally for partnerships, the ability to solve problems, I would say one that maybe doesn't always get mentioned as a soft skill, but the ability to see the bigger picture and then the ability to prioritize and handle ambiguity. Would you add any to kind of like that core sort of soft skills list? As you're saying them, I'm thinking about how I can pinpoint specific examples where I've had to use those over the past year in particular. I think all of those are really, are really spot on. The other one that I often think about, and you kind of talked about a little bit, the pace of change is is accelerating. I mean, I think COVID was an example of, 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 of just how quickly it can, and we know that it's not slowing down. Um, we also know that I think, you know, innovation often comes from when people or teams not only can work together, but they can com combine two disparate things or a couple disparate things that are not so different, but like, in a little bit enough different to make the connection and to make something work. And so I think just people who not only can work on diverse teams, but also have the ability to combine um, ideas. Like when you're trying to create something that doesn't exist, right? Like it's like, I, I do think you need like a little bit of breadth of just ex either experience or exposure to things or um, just an ability to see things in a way that like were not, was not really seen previously. Right. And you know, on the collaboration piece, right? It's like, I think about, you know, all the things that we came up with during COVID to, um, you know, uh, uh, to solve for the most, um, the most pressing and urgent concern. Those things didn't happen because a really smart person locked themselves in a basement and figured out the solution, right? They happened because a bunch of people got on a Zoom, <laughs> like, like brought different perspectives, like, threw a couple ideas, tried some stuff out, and eventually like they figured out how to do contactless, you know, service. They figured out how to do do curbside pickup. They figured like they figured all these things, but it, it it took being able to work together collaboratively, but also the ability to combine different insights or different um uh, different lenses uh to be able to solve it. And I think inherent in that, when you may have said this, but it's just this notion of empathy, right? 
Um, and, and I think, you know, as we haven't talked about robots and automation yet, but like, you know, I think one of the things, at least yet, that where humans really can really lend themselves well versus robots and things is, is the ability to have that empathy with customers, with partners, et cetera. That's another one that comes to mind. To your point, some of the things that they talk about are things that are the bread and butter of an MBA for sure. But I do think, particularly because, you know, the the pace of change and it's just not slowing down and things like technology are, are such that they are asking for more things. And, um, and tech, you know, I think broadly speaking too, and I'm not just saying this because we both have worked in tech, but like that tech fluency to a certain degree, right? I mean, tech, tech fluency is so interesting because it, it used to be a competitive advantage. Right. And now it's table stakes, right? Yeah, exactly. And so perhaps to, to kind of riff off you and your point, the, the, what's changed, especially as I think about how do we prepare students, right, for this post-pandemic, or if you view it more as an endemic, right, again, it's the ability to empathetically lead and inspire, right, which I think storytelling is a huge component of that. But then it's this ability to sort of suspend judgment on how something has been done before, right? And the pandemic gave us all permission to throw the playbook out the door because in many cases that playbook incrementally maybe it would have never changed or would have taken 12 years to change. But because we all have the permission to say, all our ideas are open, it's a safe space because we all need to contribute. Wow, for the first time, some people had permission to think differently and bring all the different lenses, right? And, and not everyone is in jobs, right? Especially, you know, pre-MBA, you're in an individual contributor role where you may have never been asked to put two and two together, right? Where you may have never been asked for your opinion. Is there a better way of doing something? Like to have the curiosity, right? To have the, the space for that. And so that's actually one of my only concerns is as we've accelerated not only timelines and transformation adoptions, we've also accelerated you know, how much time we work, right? And how fervently we work to produce results. And are we hitting a point where those results are not the optimal results because now we've also got gotten stuck again in this new rut. And so like, how do we, again, you know, constantly suspend judgment and, you know, Adam Graham just came out with a new book, right? Think again, how do we think again about how do we suspend that sort of bias that we might have around how something should be, you know, done? And, you know, perhaps that's, that is a, what you would call a skill other than like growth mindset, right? But like that is the skill that our MBAs absolutely need to to have, right? Um, anyone who's going to be successful in this future of work, right? However long you want to frame it, right? But this next wave, this next revolution, that is going to be critical. Going back to like where we grew up, right? So consulting, you know, consulting at Deloitte, I think it's actually a really good case study, right? Of like, you find out on, a, on Thursday evening, then on Monday, you're going to work on for a client that you just found out like their name in an industry you've never worked on, on a technology you've never like heard of before. And I I keep like, as you're describing what everything you just said about growth mindset, think again, um, being open to new ideas, um, being able to learn quickly, being able to connect things together um, and to do it all really fast. I, I just can't help but think back to some of those projects sometimes that you get, or even if you're at a post MBA getting thrust into being told the, Hey, like we hired you because you have healthcare experience and then getting thrown onto a consumer products case or, or something like that. Right. And, um, and how, how do you respond when that happens? Right. And I think 
some of those skills, I think, and some of that mindset, it was always there in certain areas, but to the point maybe you're making, I think that that's going to be more potentially more the norm across other functions as well, not just, you know, traditionally what you might find in a consulting firm or an investment bank or something like that. Absolutely. And I don't know if we have the time for this, but just to plant a seed, isn't that also the the value of an entrepreneurial mindset? Sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, entrepreneurs, especially during this time, I mean, we, the next Uber, the next Facebook is being built right now, right? It's being funded right now. That's exciting to think about. We're going to look back and, and, and see those right in hindsight, but entrepreneurs are the ones who find opportunity, right? They're the ones connecting the dots. And again, you know, perhaps is, is there a, a case to be made that we all need a little bit of that type of mindset as well? Absolutely. Well, this is a good segue because we've talked a little bit about technology a little bit, but I'd love to go on it further. And I know it's something you probably thought about because like me, I know you follow technology really closely. You know, I think traditionally when we thought about technology in the future of work, we've thought about automation and, oh, okay, well, we're highly paid employees. You know, we're educated. We don't need to really worry about that. You know, they're going for, you know, other types of things. But I am curious just from your perspective, how do you see the role of technology? What does the role of technology in the workplace really mean for MBA students? And if anything, you know, what, what can they do now while in school to kind of think through that? Wow. I think there's so many different lenses. I'll, I'll take this one, right? We, we already talked about how tech fluency is table stakes. And, and I think about, you know, MBA school. I mean, how, how amazing would it be to get to a point where students or prospective students, right, as they're exploring MBA programs, are asking, right, the, the ICOM committees, right, asking the students who are there, what's your tech stack? Right? Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, what is the ecosystem that I will be able to tinker and to grow and to try things out in, especially if I'm a career switcher coming, let's say, from a non-technical background, right? I'm coming from theater. Right. And I know none of this, right. Maybe I've, I've used Slack, you know, I've used WhatsApp, I've used you know, some of these chat applications, but I've never worked in an industry in a space where there's been a tech stack. How can an MBA program be a, a place like, again, it's a launching pad, right. For your career or your education. I, I would just say that that's an interesting idea, right. We, we were really fortunate that we began developing sort of that tech stack on Microsoft 365 before COVID happened. And so with the class of 2021, when they were coming in at orientation, they were getting indoctrinated, onboarded into our school's ecosystem, right? Not unlike what a company would, would onboard you into. And we were doing that for the first time, right? And But I think we learned so much from that experience and we, were, we got lucky, right? We, we got lucky in that when COVID happened, students were already using certain processes in place to communicate with each other as study teams the program office, right? And the career teams, we were able to communicate. And, you know, yes, Zoom was really valuable, but Zoom's not, you know, Zoom is for meetings. You have to have like the collaborative tools, the knowledge sharing tools that enable you to, to get work done. And so I, I think that's an interesting thought, right? Is what are the tech stacks going to look like um, across different universities? Will we all converge, right? On certain specific platforms? Will it look different? I think it's a really good point. And on that notion, I think, as I think about MBAs entering the workforce, you know, if you are managing, whether it's managing a project or managing a cross-functional team uh, or officially managing people, how do you use the right technologies 
or the technologies available, particularly with respect to collaboration, particularly with respect to different groups of people may have different comfort levels, right? Or different preferences, even for that matter, right? And and how do you use that in a way that is effective, right? Um, you know, I think that's that's definitely something that that comes to mind as well. The other thing that, you know, kind of comes to mind, I think at this point, right, is like, and I tell this to people all the time who are going into interviews, I don't really care what you're interviewing for, but if you're not thinking about as before you prepare for that interview of how is technology impacting this company in this industry, um, I think that's a miss, right? Because it, technology is business at this point, right? And there's no getting around that. So I think just even from that perspective of a you know, very tactical perspective of like how this impacts how you prepare for interviews or how you think of the lens of business, honestly, right? And and there isn't a company out there that isn't at least mildly concerned about uh, a start a fast growing startup in their particular vertical or function that could potentially, um, you know, cause challenges for them. The other part about technology is, you know, as I think about yeah, in future work, right, and what's the value of you know, obviously future work, right, creates divides, right? But knowledge workers, right, and, and your ability to absorb and then, right, pull different disparate things together, right, and problem solve and come up with solutions and create new products, create new systems. That ability to absorb knowledge and know how, like, how to, like, find things, right? Like, I feel like that as a competence, like your your ability and your agility to do that quickly almost becomes this new type of unique skill set, right? And how do you demonstrate that? How do you communicate that in an interview, right? And I think about like, how can you share past examples of how you've navigated, right? And how you've adapted. That's going to be really critical, I think, for students to continue to think about. And if that's an area where you need to spend some more time getting better at that, then now you know, right? Like, I think that's a really important self-reflection exercise. So I'm really glad you said the word agility. I feel like it's a buzzword of 2020, but I I think it's really true. It actually tees up my next question because one of the things that I've, I've been thinking a lot about is just career development and what it means for the future of work. I tell this to MBA students all the time, like, look, like work really hard to land that job after business school because it's important, but the reality for many of you is that the first job you take may not be the last one. It probably won't be the last one. I do think there's an element of agility that is is needed as you think about career development and you know in this new world of work to be able to spot emerging opportunities uh, and to seize them, or to be able to pivot if you need to because there is a new industry or the industry you're in is is not the one you need to be in, and so. You know, I know there's been things before, you know, moving away from the ladder and thinking about going to the lattice or there's other ways or jungle gym concept. But I'm just curious from your perspective, what should MBA students be thinking about mm-hmm. when it comes to career development in this new world of work? Perhaps the first one is that, you know, career development isn't just this topic, right? This this class, right? It's a skill set, right? And it's a skill set not just for yourself. And especially if you've never been a people manager, I mean, it's an incredible skill set, right? It is not just an incredible, it is a required skill set to be a people manager, right? Is to develop the career of others. If you're in an MBA program right now, making sure that you leverage the resources to really understand not only how to navigate and manage your own career strategically, I mean, that's going to be something that can be marketable as well. I, I think that Again, going back to, you know, what your 
focus is, right? If, if your focus is to, if you're, what you value is make as much money as possible, um, nothing wrong with that, right? If that is your sort of preeminent like reason for being, then it's pretty easy, right? You're going to always go and find the job that makes you the most money. And you're going to constantly be evaluating the marketplace for what jobs pay the most. And you're going to know that in order to get that job, what are the skill sets that you need to develop along the way to get to that, right? You're going to constantly be grinding, right, to make more money. I think similarly, if your goals and your values and the things that matter to you, the impact that you want to make in this time that you have on earth, right, the value that you want to create and produce for others, if you are always clear and have that North Star, I feel like you're going to build systems for yourself in which you are constantly reflecting and asking, am I continuing to add value? Am I continuing to create value in this role? Whether it's a full-time job, a contract role, right? Or it's the side hustle. And if you're not creating that value, then what needs to change so that you can go and create more of that value? I think that type of mindset, that type of career development is really powerful. And I think we're going to see more and more of that, especially as you know, the disruption, I think, is not yet done. Right. And so I know that I'm curious on your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I, I love what you said. And to the point that you made, I, I think when you think about what you value or, or what that North Star is, it also gives you opportunities to be flexible about the means to achieve it. Right. And I think one of the one of the things to the point you made is that there might be a way for you to do that in, where it's what you do each day in your full-time job and then through a side hustle on the side. There might be a way for you to do that through your day job and a stretch project on another team. There might be a way for you to do that in a day job and joining the board of a nonprofit in your community or your church or whatever. There might be a way for you to do that by becoming an independent consultant and you know being able to have more flexibility and instead of having one project you know having a couple different projects there might be a way for you to do that by becoming a creator right and building your own audience and building your own platform there might be a way to do that by building a substack and the list goes on and on and on and on when you have some clarity around what it is that you're optimizing for there's the, I think what excites me about the future work on a good day is that there are more ways to, particularly for the highly educated and mobile, to be able to manifest whatever it is they're trying to optimize for. In some cases, it will just be a really great job for a company that you go and work at each and every day. But in some cases, it might, might look very different than what you and your dad and my dad maybe stepped into when they graduated from business school you know, 20, 30 years ago. And so that's what I think is really potentially powerful. And, and to your point, why it's so important to develop career development as a skill set now in school while you have the resources, while you have the time, because that do investing that time now will help you take of those advantage of those opportunities in the future. Definitely. Wow. <laughs> I'm thinking a lot about our students right now, right? We certainly see trends, right? There's definitely a healthy trend right now of tech companies hiring, right? Even perhaps earlier, right, in the timeline that we normally would see in an MBA market, but the ability for someone to really kind of find clarity and not get caught up in FOMO, right? Yeah. Um, but to really have some clarity around what what is it that's going to help them really 
get to that next, whether you want to call it a stepping stone or really stay focused on their North Star journey, that's really powerful, right? That's how you find, right, the, the company that you never thought of before, right? When when you stop trying to follow and apply for the, the jobs that your peers are applying for is when I think those are some of my favorite transformational stories of the students I've worked with. Yeah, yeah. Last question here, and I'm going to throw this at you because I was just thinking about it now and I didn't give you a chance to prepare for this, but I would love to know how you, as the head architect of career strategy for McCombs, how you think about or thinking about your own career development, you know, as you think about your, your own career and, you know, where you've been, but where you hope to go, you know, what, what is your mindset? What is your mantra for the future of work? I feel so lucky to be in the role that I'm in now. Right. And I, I, you know, I think about the importance of, of a good leader, right. Quality of a good leader that I think of as a leader is the ability to model. Right. And, you know, I'm really grateful that I get to wake up every day and model, right. Sort of that. uh, I am constantly thinking about my, my values, right. My, my kids, my partner, they ground me in sort of like the life and the the community that I want to create and impact and, and shape and transform the opportunity to be in higher education. You know, this is a choice, right? It's an intentional choice. And I'm just so lucky to be, I think, you know, to bring the expertise that I gained from working as a technology consultant, right? Working through organizational transformations, you know, technology transformation, digital disruption, and help essentially rewrite the playbook, right? That's, that, that has, I think, been the the mainstay of higher education for some time. Right? Career education coaching is evolving. Right? I'm thinking daily about right now as we're you know thinking about what what is um, getting towards a near normal sort of experience look like. Um, is that going to happen this fall? I'm just absorbing right to talk about some of the things we talked about in terms of skill sets. I am spending a lot of time absorbing knowledge on distributed teams, asynchronous work. How does knowledge management platforms and tools help my teams be successful, right? In this new disruptive environment. You know, again, I I think every single day that I get to wake up and get to go to work, um, I have the opportunity as a leader to not only model, right? But to coach, right? So we're constantly practicing what we preach, right? If I'm not coaching my teams, then they can't be successful. They can't develop, they can't become more agile. And they're not doing that, then what are they teaching students to go do? Um, and on top of the layer, on top of all of that is we, we touched on this, the empathy, the care. Uh, it's so important right now, right? Again, this idea of like model coaching care, Satya Nadella, right? CEO of Microsoft recently just talked about this at their Include conference. So, you know, can't, giving credit, right? But this idea of model coach care, I think is so critical for our, you know, future leaders. Right? And again, many of those future leaders will be MBAs. Um, and so again, I'm um, such an important aspect of, my own career and what I get to do every single day. So very, very, very grateful. That's great. So Daniel Wu, thank you so much for joining me today for talking about the future of work and how you and your team at McCombs are preparing your students uh, to be able to build uh, exceptional careers and to navigate all the changes that may come in the future. Thank you again for being such a great supporter of all the work I've done and uh, for joining me to celebrate episode 100. Absolutely. uh, Thank you for Thank you for being here. Congratulations, Al. Thank you so much. Hi, everyone. Al D here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. 
you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.